Hello and welcome to Brew Theology. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Brew Theology, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology and on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. Today we'll be talking about Mormonism with our local expert, Megan, who is an ex-Mormon herself, and she also wrote today's great curriculum. So I'd like to share with you uh, the curriculum so that you can follow along, and then you can hear our discussion about Mormonism. So from our curriculum, Mormonism, Golden Plates, Eternal Marriage, Planets, and Holy Undies. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was founded in 1830 in Palmyra, New York, by Joseph Smith, Jr. The LDS, or Mormon Church, is widely known for its truth claims regarding the Book of Mormon, which is considered to be another testament of Jesus Christ, in addition to the Old and New Testaments. The LDS Church has 70,000 full-time missionaries present in 422 missions worldwide. Most of those missionaries are young adults that postpone all personal commitments and serve for 18 to 24 months at a time. Most go on a mission before going to college. Joseph Smith was about 14 years old when he claimed he received his answer to prayer while praying in a grove of trees in upstate New York. This incident is known as the First Vision, wherein Smith stated that he saw a pillar of light and saw the Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, who told Smith not to join any of the churches, for they were all wrong, and all their creeds were an abomination. Joseph was visited by the angel Moroni, a Book of Mormon prophet, who told him that the golden plates, the Book of Mormon, were hidden in a nearby hill named Cumorah, and that Joseph is the prophet chosen to retrieve the book. Once Smith dug up the plates, he was said to have used an Urim and Thummim to translate the plates, though it was actually by sticking his head in a hat and a stone lighting up with words. The Book of Mormon was published in 1830, the same year that the Church of Christ was founded, later changed to the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith was killed in Liberty Jail in 1844, along with his brother Hiram and several other men. The group was taken to jail for the destruction of the Nauvoo Expositor, a printing press that openly commented and condemned Smith's polygamous actions with other men's wives and daughters. Mormons consider Smith a martyr. Core Beliefs The core beliefs of Mormonism can be outlined in two of the main lessons that missionaries teach. One, the restoration. Prophets are necessary and possess a godly power called priesthood, authority to act with divine power. Jesus was predicted by prophets and established the true church on the earth with the priesthood. After Jesus died, the apostles that still had this priesthood were eventually killed, leaving the earth without priesthood power. An apostasy period came about due to the lack of priesthood. Joseph Smith was found worthy to be the prophet of the restoration and restores Christ's church on the earth again. 2. The Plan of Salvation we existed as spirits without bodies before being born. We came to earth for experience, trials, and to progress to become like a deity. Adam and Eve were commanded not to eat of the forbidden fruit, which meant they could stay in the garden. But they could not know joy because they could not experience sorrow and pain, making Satan's temptation a part of the plan. Sins can be fixed through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, which allows everyone to return to the Heavenly Father. Those who weren't baptized by the priesthood of this life get a second chance to accept the LDS gospel in place of the spirit world. All will be eventually judged and will be rewarded according to their works. 
Only families married or sealed in LDS temples by the priesthood authority will be together forever instead of death do you part. Modern Mormonism The LDS Church has received a lot of attention within the past 10 years, mainly due to political views, a Broadway musical, and controversial church policies. In 2008, the LDS Church told members to donate means and times towards Prop 8 in California. In November of 2015, the LDS Church announced a new policy where the children of homosexuals that wanted to be baptized in the church must wait until the age of 18. Eight years old is the minimum age for baptism. The LDS Church still denounces polygamy, and leaders openly condemn the practices of polygamous leaders. The first official statement was made by the prophet Wilford Woodruff in 1890. In 1978, the prophet Spencer W. Kimball publicly stated that all of our brethren who are worthy may receive the priesthood. Before the declaration by Kimball, the priesthood was not able to be conferred to anyone with African descent. The LDS Church is well known for its abundant donations and presence in the worldwide disaster relief. It is known for being one of the first responders to major international disasters, even above foreign governments. The Church encourages emergency preparedness and has its own welfare program to take care of its members. Every first Sunday of the month, members are encouraged to fast for two meals and donate the money that would have been used for food to the Church's welfare fund to provide food for the needy. Misconceptions. The LDS Church does not forbid caffeine. The misconception comes from the teaching, the word of wisdom, found in the canonical book, Doctrine and Covenants, where hot drinks are forbidden. The church leaders interpret that to mean tea and coffee, even decaffeinated. This is where the church also forbids alcoholic consumption and encourage members to eat meat sparingly. Latter-day Saints that are found worthy of keeping all the commandments, including the word of wisdom and tithing, are given special permission to enter one of the church's 150 temples. In the temple, members make sacred covenants and take on specific oaths regarding the teachings of the LDS faith. This ceremony is called the endowment, where members are given holy garments to wear in remembrance of the covenants made. The temple is also where families are sealed for time and all eternity, as well as baptisms for the dead. The LDS Church is projected to keep growing, even while many of the millennial generation are leaving at higher rates than any other time in LDS history. So I hope that you enjoyed learning more about Mormonism, and now on to our discussion. Everybody, we are back. Brew Theology Podcast. We've got Megan, Rob, Janelle, and myself. This is Ryan. We're talking Mormonism tonight. We've got Golden Plates, Eternal Marriage, Planets, and Holy Undies. We will talk about the underpants tonight Which in detail. Which are called garments. Garments. So... First thing is first, we're going to do a little intro with ourselves, which we do in about 30 seconds. A lot of you know my story. I grew up Southern Baptist evangelical from the great state of Texas, and I have deconstructed quite a bit of that over the years and gleaned from the Anabaptist and the Methodist, the Jewish people, along with the Pentecostals and the process and liberation theologians. So I'm an open tent Jesus, processy, Anabaptist, Methodist, Jewcostal follower of Jesus, and I think that all people are pretty sweet. There we go. And eventually... You'll have a tattoo to prove it, to represent all of those It's happening. Qualities. Rob, and are, Rob and I are not going to get matching tattoos, but we are going to go to the same artist to get tattoos pretty soon. You should join us. 
Uh, my name is Janelle, and I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene. I uh, left that about five years ago, and um, am pretty happy carrying the label progressive Christian. I attend an ELCA church and have a small house church, and that's about it. Hey, this is Megan, um, back again, raised evangelical. In those awkward tween years, I was like, oh, there's probably no God. Then I went and became a Mormon. In this episode, I wrote the content. So, Woo-hoo! yeah, I'm the I'm the ex-Mormon. I went to BYU, served a mission, did all that good stuff. So I'm pretty legit. I even lived in Utah for a short time, so there's no doubt I was actually a Mormon. So, yep, I'm back, and I'm just figuring things out. like to study Torah, and, um, yeah. My name is Rob. I uh, also have a background in uh, the Evangelical Christian Baptist Church. Um, A variety of experiences have uh, deconstructed that way of thinking. And right now, I no longer identify myself probably as a Christian at this point, more agnostic. Um, But the the whole processed thought uh, has been something that's been kind of uh, catching my attention at this point. All right, well, we're going to have a fun time this evening, and if you're listening right now, just a reminder to you all, when we do this every week at the pub, we say no soapbox is allowed, no one person gets the last word, their viewpoint is not the end-all, be-all bomb. You can be passionate, there's a fine line, but don't be a jerk. So respect all others and their viewpoints, extend courtesy by listening well, and ask really good follow-up questions. Next is... Everything is up for discussion, which means we'll have many rabbit trails. You always think that the night's going to go a certain way, but you would be wrong because every night goes its own way. Even this conversation is going to look very different from the conversations that we all had at our tables because we were all at different tables last week. And then this coming week, we'll be at like brand new tables. So this is why it's fun. So don't be an asshat. Don't be a dick. Don't be a jerk. And now let's talk some Mormonism. So, uh, Megan, you're not going to answer the first question because we're on the spot on the first one. But how do y'all how do you all perceive Mormons? That's a it's like a, a really vulnerable opening question. Well, I think one of the universal things we heard around my table was that they're the nicest people on the planet, which I think is true from my experiences having family friends that are Mormon. They are very nice. I think that that also can hide some things that are not so nice, um, that are more unconscious and more uh, inside of the system. But overall, I think Mormons as individuals love people, care about taking care of others, uh, want to help people have a better life. Um, How they go about that, I might not agree with, but uh, they are really good people. White button-up polo shirts, black pants, nice bikes, traveling pairs, uh, door-to-door, um, sister wives. Those are probably the most, <laughs> most uh, the things that come to mind Big off the top of my head. Big Love, HBO, that was a great yeah. show, yeah, sister wives. But that's no longer, like, the, that's, that's, fundamentalism is different than, like, the new age of Mormons. Yeah, nice name tags, though. The name tags are phenomenal. So other, other than the movie, uh, not the movie, the, the Broadway show. Musical. Musical. Was my, amazing. Yeah, which I've heard. You is, saw I, it? I've yeah. I've heard it's amazing. Oh, my. So shout out to Dan and Rachel Laffin for giving us their tickets that re- they weren't able to use. I really want to go. We, we lived in New York in City for two years and never got to go. What, oh, when did man. you live in New York? You didn't know this, man? No, I know you lived in New York, but what time? Because it, it started in 2011 when I was a Mormon. 2010 to 2012. Was it 2010? Yes. Okay, my best friend, who's still an active Mormon, uh, 
awesome Mormon. We were both super legit, like hardcore Mormons coming from like non-Mormon families, converts. We did the whole schlep to seminary. If there's a Mormon out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. But we love Book of Mormon and we would always play the lotto. And we were like, we're never going to tell the bishop, but we really <laughs> want to see the show. It's, it's probably like so as a Southern Baptist growing up an evangelical, the movie Saved. Do you all remember that with oh, Macaulay yes. Culkin? Such a good we one. love making fun of ourselves watching that movie. So pretty similar. I'm sure not all Mormons feel the same way, like some evangelicals hated Saved. But uh, so for me, yeah, I would say I would agree very with Janelle, very uh, nice, kind, loving, good people. We grew up across the street from Mormons and they had us over for dinner and we had them over for dinner and you couldn't ask for a better family. Then there's the other side of me that thinks, oh, man, you guys are taking crazy pills. And at the same time, I look at my own faith and I wonder, I wonder if other people think I'm taking crazy pills. So, yeah, I have a mixed uh, view, viewpoint perception, but. For the most part, I think they're um, extremely kind and devoted. What I what I think I, I love about it about the Mormon people, for the most part, is that they're hardworking, they're devoted, they're loyal, and there is an attraction, there's an allure to that for sure. I mean, there's a reason why I think they're they're successful in converting people. It's not because of the name tags, Rob. I think it's because of like you see a community of people who are actually like uh, they're a collective unit, and they're not just individuals. Yeah. And so that's that's my first impression of Mormons. Have y'all ever grown up around other than other than Megan, <laughs> Mormons, <laughs> next door neighbors or door to door people in your school? Well, uh, my husband's family uh, often rented out a room to Mormons from in their house, and so they had a family that they had stayed in touch with, and so we shared Thanksgiving with them many years. Um, so. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to remember if I like. I've. I can't say that I've ever had like a somebody that I would consider like a close friend or somebody that I interacted with on a regular basis that was affiliated with the Mormon Church. So I think most of my perceptions of of who they are is what I what I said before. Yeah. Yeah. So at any point during the night, you know, Megan is our. She's our expert. She's hey. she's the vet. She's yep. been there, done that. I had the some. name tag, Ryan. Yeah, so we can ask Megan questions as well. We we have some of our own. Well, I say our own content. It's Megan's content, and it's and these are great questions too. But feel free because everything is up for discussion to to ask Megan anything, and then it could become like the Megan night. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. By me. So I, I actually am curious. Off off. You know, this is here like we go. off script oh, right here. Yeah. Uh, you uh you did this for how many years? Ooh, okay. Um. So I was like the golden convert. So I converted when I was, I think I had just turned 15. So yeah, it was like right after I turned 15. And I ended up leaving the church, like officially leaving when I was 22. So was it a convincing argument? Was it something bad in oh, your church? So, many, so many things. So yeah, so I was I was like coming from an atheist type perspective just like it gets agnostic because i was raised evangelical started learning about the holocaust and was like this is there's no way this doesn't fit the loving god narrative so um no i there was there were some other things and it's probably gonna get a little personal but there were a lot of like issues going on in my family at the time like um just some really some really bad stuff and i was 15 <laughs> i'm the middle child so you know how that goes and um yeah, yeah, I know. Some of you feel that. Um, but um, I'd always had issues with believing in the Trinity. 
So I was raised evangelical. Trinity just never made sense. Will never make sense to me. I'll um, work on you. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. I was wondering what Jesus never, thought about the Trinity. Oh, there's another <laughs> conversation. So, so now, 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 now I'm going to forget so many verses. I'm going to pull these out of, out of somewhere, but I, I can't remember actual verses. But there's a verse. I don't even know what translation it was in. I'm going to say it's probably New King James Version. I remember reading the Bible and it would say something like, um, no man has ever seen God. But if we all love God, or if we love God, God dwells among us, right? And I was like, that's not that's not true. Stephen saw God, Acts, I want to say 577. I can't remember. I wish I had, because that's what I used to use as a more missionary. Like, how can there be a trinity? Look at look at Acts. Look when Stephen was stoned. How could he have seen God? He said he saw God in Jesus' right hand. There's no way that could have been possible. So um, I remember raising that argument, and my ma was like, ah, I don't know. Just come to church with me. Ask the pastor. The pastor's like, well, it's, um, I don't think you understood the context. You got to read, read it over. In fact, read the whole thing over. Read the whole book over. Read the whole New Testament over. You obviously don't understand it, but don't believe it, right? And I was like, this is, this is, this is bubkiss. Like, there's no way. And so I remember reading it and thinking, this isn't, this isn't it. Um, and so you know, I kind of was atheist for a little while. There's some family issues. Um, kind of read about other faiths, got really into, um, into Judaism, but that's been, that's been a thing since I was like 11. And so, um, was reading the Quran and all these things and, um, got really into family history, which is really important in Mormon, in Mormonism, uh, family history and genealogy. Um, and I remember doing genealogy and coming across the church, the LDS churches, um, I think it's called families. I think it's called new family org now. Um, and it's a, it's like the largest, the largest, um, the largest database for like genealogy and it's free. And, um, I remember going on there and sorry, I'm not trying to, I'm not like advertising. I, I realize I'm, I'm, I'm looking this up right now. What's yeah. the website again? New family search, I think is what it's called now. They okay. changed it a few years ago. I think it was just family search and now it's new family search or maybe like new dot family search. I don't know. Um, and so family search.org. Yeah. It's owned by the LDS church. And I remember going on there, finding records and I, I would, I would attribute that to like a disconnect of what I was feeling at the time, um, uh, for my family. And so that's what I attribute it now to. And, um, I remember finding my way on that site, somehow getting in contact with LDS.org, which is mostly for Mormon members then being led to mormon.org, which is for like investigators or people that are curious learning about the church, non-Mormons, and end up finding, putting my information on the site, got in contact with missionaries. At the time I was receiving discussions from Jehovah's Witnesses and um, just figuring stuff out. And I remember reading the Book of Mormon, there's something called Moronite's Promise. And I feel like such a bad, uh, for a missionary, I believe it's Moroni 10, three through five is the scripture in the Book of Mormon where it says like, um, ask with a pure heart or I'm such, I'm failing so bad right now, but basically just ask to believe if these things are true and by true Mormons use that term a lot. Like if this is pure and if this is of God, um, and you'll know, and we're reading the book and it was an interesting experience. I was this 14 or I was 15 taking, reading the book, reading parts of it, you know, in one night praying about it. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night so it had to be like three in the morning and I automatically started praying. It was, it was a strange, strange experience. I was already praying and I remember feeling this feeling like it's okay. Things are okay. And, um, you know, it's still something that still confuses me because it was this feeling that I'd, I guess I'd never 
felt before it was like this feeling of comfort what what i was told later was was the spirit what people describe as the spirit and um i just remember feeling that and being like yeah this, this makes sense you know there's these people coming to teach me these things i didn't believe in a trinity i didn't believe in a trinity either um they talked about um a prophet and i was i was very curious in that and and nothing nothing felt wrong and i think that was that was what encouraged me to keep going um they had a lot of answers to things. They had a lot of things I'd never thought about, about um, eternal families where families are together forever, not till death do you part, or how we were spirits before we were born. So it's not like we were created at birth or created at um, conception, but it was, we've always been infinite beings or eternal beings that just came to earth to have a body. And so um, it's, it's a feeling, Mormonism thrives very much on a feeling, but it's, it's not hard to believe that people are converted through that i mean it's they, they cultivate such an environment where you feel comforted you have people that care about you and they want to know they want to know if you're reading the book and they'll check back with you and as a missionary i got to see the other side of it of being that person to bring that message and so um the doctrine was fascinating the doctrine was interesting and, and at many times made sense um because the Bible, to me, didn't make much sense. Um, a lot of contradictions, a lot of confusion. And so, um, it, it, and with that, I mean, I even had issues with understanding that Jesus, as Jesus was the Messiah. And so Mormonism brought in a new perspective even on, on Jesus. And so it was, a, uh, it's, the doctrine was, I wouldn't say it was just somebody making me cookies that we would do it. You know, it was, the doctrine was something that gripped part of my heart that, that I couldn't get away from. So from what I was told from a Mormon, and he could be wrong, this was many years ago, talking about specifically Jesus as the Messiah, when Christians, well, I use the word Christian, speaking of Protestants, okay? Yeah. Look at that, trying to be superior as a Protestant world. <laughs> and we would say the atonement is what happened at the cross, and mm -hmm. there's many different views of the atonement. And his view was that according to the Mormon faith, that the atonement was about the, the humanity of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. And that's where that's where it actually uh, resides. And that's so, true. So um, now I almost feel like I want to say no in totality in that. Yes, it started in the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and carried on to the cross. So maybe we just had we just had different seminary teachers. But, <laughs> but, but it wasn't so much like about like this, this son of God, Messiah figure who took on a pound of flesh for, to save the world. Yeah. It wasn't That's not the point. The, okay. the what Mormons are, well, Mormons usually call it the atonement. Yeah. Um, when Jesus Christ is crucified in that whole experience of, of, um, suffering in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, Mormons don't look at as the pinnacle of all of that as, when the nails were in his hands like that's it, it totally it starts in the garden of gethsemane and um the reason that is is because mormons believe that the spirit left at that point and the spirit left jews at that point and um what was more the excruciating part was feeling a disconnect from from the father and suffering through that you know um i can't repeat verses like I used to, but you know, um, father, let this cup pass for me that, that whole, that whole, um, not my phrase. will, but your will be done. Yeah, exactly. And so it's that point of, um, of choosing to be the sacrifice. He already chose to came to come to earth, but it was, um, choosing to be the sacrifice and, and the garden of Sunday is really where you 
I guess you see that on a more personal and somewhat relatable level. Um, and so throughout uh, Mormon experience, the Garden of Gethsemane is usually talked about because it's a, it's a trying moment of choosing God's will over your will. And so um, the Garden of Gethsemane really is just where the turning point starts. So, Yeah, so then Jesus was a prophet among many prophets, but then you have this other prophet who comes along by the name of Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. to which we referred to earlier in the introduction. And so he's a modern-day prophet based on, on well time because he's pretty relatively new compared to other prophets yeah, 1820s well, yeah. and 30s and 40s. what do y'all think about prophets because that's there's prophets all throughout the hebrew scriptures then you have joseph smith what does that mean today well they're not the same thing yeah i would say and to be clear joseph smith isn't on the same level as jesus so yes jesus is a prophet but in no way does joseph smith have the um the same status as jesus and that he's some form of deity um as, as Jesus is. So is Joseph Smith equal to Muhammad? No, because Muhammad only had part of the truth. As, um, as So he's greater than Muhammad. He's greater than Muhammad. But less than Jesus. Less than Jesus, from a Mormon perspective. Yeah, the, I mean, the prophecy, all that is, is how, it's intriguing because in any like scenario and context, if you look at any kind of scripture based on any time period in Israel, these people come up and they go, here's a word from, here's a word from the Lord. Well, here's a word from the Lord. And now you have like a new word from the Lord. And so growing up, we, we were told as Protestants that these were all moving toward Jesus. But when Joseph Smith came around, mm-hmm. he took on a whole new trajectory. But then if you ask the Jews about Jesus, they say, no, you Christians took on a whole new trajectory. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with these modern day prophets? Is it just a bunch of like hogwash bullshit? Anybody can speak for God? Come on now. It's it's really complicated. I mean, with Joseph Smith, you're looking at a very particular point in time inside of American Christian history. So you, and if I'm getting this wrong, I apologize, but if I remember correctly, you've already had the first and second great awakenings at this point in time. And he emerges out of this part of New York that has been completely run over by revivalist preachers and it's called the burnt over district. And so this, this space kind of, and we were talking about with tank a little bit earlier is just like over spiritualized and completely overrun and people are tired of it and they're tired of the revelation and they're tired of being told what to believe. And so he stems out of this gap here and brings a new story. Um, of which there is some significant evidence that this was not what it says it is. Um, and that's, I, I mean, I, and, and I think you can find that in any of our traditions. There are people that will say Jesus never was and there's no evidence for it. And um, I think you can, you can find clear evidence that there are issues with the creation of the Book of Mormon, how it came about and how it was developed. One of those for me that I think I still hold on to is, is that, Joseph Smith was basically illiterate. So, I mean, we can make the claim that, yes, God empowered him to read all of a sudden, and that's not so far of a stretch if you're in the middle of this kind of belief system. But at the same time, to take someone that didn't have a full education and then translates and puts out this book that becomes an equivalent or greater than the Bible, um, I really, really struggle with that piece of the story. So, so I would say at least I'm going to call it my Mormon whisper 
right? So that that Mormon, your, your Mormon whisper, my Mormon whisper, whispers. And I actually copied that off of another ex-Mormon podcast. So cred to Inference on Thrones. But um, anyway, so that I would, I would say that that's that shows a miracle of God. I mean, God, you look in look in the Old Testament. God works with with those that are are meek. He works with Joseph, right? This kid that was turned into a pit, right? And then he works through this. He's in jail. You know, he works through this man that would be rejected by society and was rejected by society, rejected by his own family, but works through him, um, works through many. There's so, there's so many stories. Um, Elijah and Elisha. I mean, Elisha was bald, right? Like, come on. Like, there's all these things. <laughs> and, it, it, like, and, and I say that, and these are people with real, just real people, like, just people in the te- in in the Bible, they're not these rich, wealthy class with like perfect everything and perfect families. And no, these are people that had problems. These are people that were poor. The miracle of Joseph Smith is that he was this 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 kid that had a question, right? This kid that had a question during um, what, living in the burnover district, as as uh, Janelle um, had said, and was wasn't. I mean, he was born, he was one of, I don't remember how many children, but what greater miracle than that of, of a poor, a little boy with a question in faith um, than to translate and be a prophet. Um, so what is the, what is the uh, narrative around what his father was? So I believe his father was a deist. Um, so the historical record, I mean, often shows that Joseph Smith Sr. Was, was kind of a huckster. I mean, that was his, that's what he did. He bought things, he sold things, he yeah. came up with things. I mean, he was not known for being very truthful. Um, and so I think that that, yes, I mean, absolutely. Anytime you throw the word miracle around, you can solve any problem that anyone can throw at you. Um, but I think that what we know about his family of origin and yeah. and what surrounded him, like, I think it does call into question the legitimacy of this yeah. a little bit. And, um, I mean, there is also, there are records that show that he was, money digging was a huge thing and I don't quite understand it. And I mean, now I really don't, I don't care as much to be honest, but money digging of, of, I believe it's somehow associated with magic or black magic or some, I don't know, some garbage like that. But he was arrested, I think twice as a teenager for, for those things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, he kind of, he had a. A reputation locally but from far away this poor little farm boy translated this book is crazy it's amazing but, but yeah but looking yeah he was i believe he's still a teenager charged twice with, with his money digging and um sorry i thought you meant religious wise <laughs> oh well I, th- I think his father was a deist though yeah i think like so. many of our founding fathers okay moving forward with yes. the lds faith joe smith was a pretty big prophet big mm-hmm. deal Anybody else? Do you have you have certain prophets today? How do they operate? So um, there, as it says in Amos three seven in the Bible, and Ephesians four eleven, the importance of, of prophets, right? So Ephesians four eleven says something like, and he appointed. He's speaking about the the modern churches. Like he appointed to some evangelists, preachers, teachers, prophets, and it goes on. I can't quote it directly, but. Um, 
so that basically shows in, in Amos 3, 7, it talks about God will do nothing without revealing it to the prophets. So as long as God wants the will communicated to children on earth, there will be a prophet, right? There was a time after Christ died, put it into short terms, there's an apostasy where there's no prophets on the earth until it was restored. That's why Joseph Smith is so great. He's the prophet of the restoration. So he restored that power, which could only be had through the priesthood, a certain power to act in God's name, um, which is what prophets do. They receive revelation from God. So yeah, there, there's a modern day prophet. His name is Thomas Monson. Mormons um, will often refer to him as President Monson. There's been a prophet ever since then. I could probably name them all in order if you'd like me to, but that's kind of annoying. Um, thanks to my seminary teacher. But Brigham Young was a huge one. I think Brigham Young, you could still say Brigham Young to anybody. Brigham Young might also be more famous than Joseph Smith in certain parts, depending on who you talk to. Uh, right? Yeah. J yeah. So um, Brigham Young was the second prophet of the church. Uh, very go Cougars. No, no, go Utes. Go Utes. Just saying. <laughs> I'm a little biased. So, um, yeah, I did go to BYU, though. So, I mean, yeah. Um, BYU-Idaho, which is more strict. So, anyway, Brigham Young was pretty famous. Brigham Young had more wives than Joseph Smith. So, that's one staple. There's also a very famous root beer called Brigham's Brew, which is quite popular in Utah for 21st birthday parties. <laughs> so, it's root beer. Um, <laughs> Yay. Wanna Talk be about beer. a good time. So, um, I he was pretty famous. Another famous prophet I would say would be, um, and I'm speaking to people maybe that, that, that aren't Mormons or familiar with Mormonism, but if there's any other prophet they would know of, um, if you watch Big Love, you'd probably know of Wilford Woodruff, who wrote the manifesto denouncing polygamy. That was 1890. So they called the, the show Big Love. They talk about the Woodruff document or something. I don't know. I didn't really watch the show. It's um, a great show. Yeah, I've seen parts of it, seen parts of it, but it was pretty, pretty much a for me, just saying. Um, I would say that Spencer W. Kimball, he was a prophet in the 70s, which gave the revelation of uh, people associated as the prophet during the blacks and the priesthood revelation. So when the priesthood, the power to act in God's name, was extended to all worthy males. So... Um, the priesthood is something that you would need to baptize somebody, to bless sacraments in church, which a 12-year-old boy could do. He receives the Aaronic priesthood. When you're 18, you receive the Melchizedek priesthood to go to the temple, to be married in the temple. Um, you just said Aaronic, not ironic. Aaronic priesthood. The priest of and Aaron. Melchizedek. And then you said Melchizedek. So uh -huh. for those who are going, what is Sorry, she saying? Yeah. Mormon lingo. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. This is also in, uh, in yeah, the Protestant yeah. lingo, too. Yeah. So define Aaron Melchizedek before, you know, just because so, it's a lot of stuff So there. I'm going to feel really bad at this. Um, I'm just going to say that right, hands down. Um, so the Aaronic priesthood is known as the lower priesthood. And, um, oh gosh, I can't really, I'll put it in very simple terms because that's all I really remember. Um because as a missionary, you explain things in simple terms. The Aaronic priesthood is lower priesthood. The priesthood of Aaron that was used in the Old Testament, um, was was a lower priesthood of of basic. But he stuck. He still got to wear the holy undies. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. The, we'll the get, garments we'll of Aaron. We're gonna yes, get there. That were given to him in the temple. 
yes. So so Aaron was known as um, so the running priest is known as the lesser priesthood. Melchizedek is the higher priesthood, and so with that priesthood, um, so running priesthood. You can baptize in, in Mormonism. You can baptize. You can bless sacrament, which sacrament is the bread and water um, that you take in remembrance of the body and blood of Christ. Water, not wine. Water, not wine. We can touch on that, too. Start making some notes. Um, so you can do that with the Aaronic Priesthood. Um, Melchizedek Priesthood in Mormonism, you can baptize. You can give the gift of the Holy Ghost after somebody is baptized, you can seal families, but you have to be ordained to a certain office in that, not just any Melchizedek priesthood. Wait, wait, wait. Se- sealing families. Not, sealing not families. Like, like, this is so, like all kinds of things happening so, here. What is, what is, so what I'll does just that finish mean? Up, I'll just finish up with Melchizedek priesthood. Melchizedek priesthood, you, could, you can um, go to the, you can, in the temples, which are different from meeting houses or chapels, the special really pretty buildings with the golden angel on top, which is the angel Moroni. I've been to one. Oh, you toured one? San Antonio before it was open. The public got to go. San Antonio. No, I can't remember. San Antonio or Houston is the one that looks like a castle. There's one in Texas that I was like, I want to get sealed there. No, it was like it was castle. being built in my neighborhood and I got to go. And, uh, it's, it was, they're pretty. They're it was gorgeous. beautiful. There's one just dedicated in Fort Collins last fall. There's one, for those of you that might be listening, that possibly live in a D.C. area. If anybody out there listens to this. There's the DC temple, the one that looks all mysterious like Oz. That's going to go on, on tour. It's going to be able to be toured really soon. Um, Crazy but so, amounts of money that goes into that. Yeah, so there's a story about the DC temple I can tell you too. But um, the Melchizedek priesthood, you can seal temp- so you can seal families. So basically, families can be married in temples for time and all eternity. So death will not part them. So after death, families are still together as a unit. N- none of the death till you part things are said. Um, you can heal somebody. You can do blessings of comfort, blessings of healing with anointing oil. So, um, and now you wanted, you had a question about, I can't remember which other question you said. Temples. What else? Water and wine. Water yeah, and water wine. Water, wine, and then, and then sealing. Let's do water, wine first. So, I just want to elaborate on how we started out with the 1978 revelation of the blacks and priesthood because we started talking about priesthood. So, in 1978, this prophet. Spencer W. Kimball ended up saying he received a revelation that all males can have the priesthood that are worthy, that are of the faith. And so that was a real game changer. And that was pretty famous because it was after the whole civil rights movement was was still in turmoil. Um, so Mormonism has gotten a lot of slack for that. And um, there's still a lot of issues. And I don't think the church has fully done its, its, its duty in um, talking about it. It's really not talked about that much um, and, and to the point where they don't even say it all the time as blacks and priests. Oh, the priesthood was given to all worthy males when really you know that it was, it was a racial issue. Um, but the reason Mormons won't, the church won't apologize for that and still has not and will not um, is because it's not believed that it was any racism. It was, it was because it was God's will. So the prophet only does what's God's will. So it wasn't God's will that all worthy men, including people of African descent, could have the priesthood um, until 1978, therefore missing all of these eternal blessings that are considered essential to Mormonism. Um, so you asked about wine and water. Uh, so the water, so so sacrament, uh, you'll go to a, a Mormon church or meeting house or chapel on a Sunday. Um, those are the buildings that aren't as fancy or have the gold angel on it. Um, so it's kind of like a communion. Um, it's called the sacrament. So a young, usually young men that have the ironic priesthood, 12, 13, 14, 15, up to 18 years old, uh, will bless 
the bread and water. And so the bread is, of course, taken in memory of the body of Christ. Um, the water is, is drink in remembrance of the blood that was shed. And um, wine is not used. And it was in the early church days. Uh, but wine is not used because... Um, one, I think, I think I mostly think it's because it's quite expensive, but no one's going to say that. I want to say, um, there's a lot of expenses in those temples. Yeah, where's so what's the Merlot, a little wine Bishop? here there? Where's the Merlot? You're not going to say that, right? Well, how come not grape juice? So <laughs> that's what my tradition did. Yeah. So, um, I really don't know. Actually, I would say that that probably is frugal. Mormons are pretty frugal. Um, but the reason that no wine is used is because in, I can't recall the years, 1830s. The Prophet Joseph Smith in Doctrine and Covenants 89, so if you want to look it up, the actual scripture, um, Doctrine and Covenants is the book of scripture that the that Joseph Smith and then has parts from has parts from Brigham Young, then it has that the 1890 manifesto from Wilford Woodruff, has the 1978 revelation as well. Um, it's all the latter-day revelations from the prophets. And so water is... Um, it doesn't outline water in that one, but it does talk about uh, f- um, certain things that you should abstain from. And um, it doesn't specifically say wine, um, but this this chapter is called the Word of Wisdom. So where it talks about certain um, things you should and should not partake of um, to for out of respect for your body. And uh, it talks about hot drinks and it actually says that barley or wheat drinks are good for the belly, which would include beer. But um, modern revelation Amen. would say, in what? Amen. <laughs> Amen, right? Amen. <laughs> time. I, I, it would say, I would say that this is really a, um, an, something that was shot off of uh, modern revelation. So that that um, chapter is known as the Word of Wisdom. talks about no coffee doesn't say it says no hot drinks and so modern prophets would interpret that now to be no coffee no tea it's not an issue of caffeine it's an issue of just no coffee or no tea decaffeinated coffee is still not good decaffeinated tea is still not good um and wine comes into play because i think um mormonism was very much a temperist um involved in the temperist movement and um it's it's something that has stuck. Um, the scripture doesn't actually say no wine. Um, Joseph Smith actually, when he was martyred, was found to have wine with him. So <laughs> um, it's it's a product of modern revelation, but it's a modern Mormon teaching. No alcohol, no coffee, no tea, and to eat meat sparingly. What about a cold brew? No, no. No alcohol. <laughs> no, no, no. Cold coffee. brew coffee. Oh, really? No. No coffee. So yeah, it's a it's a product of modern relationship. But if it's you cold. Just, yeah, and so There's, so I actually there did some research to all religions. Oh, there are. Um, I did some <laughs> some research on this when I was having some issues with my faith. This was back in 2015. I actually visited Kirtland, which is where Kirtland, Ohio. It's a huge Mormon site. Oh really? Wow. And um, doing some some research on um, the Word of Wisdom and. I learned that at that time it was actually pretty common for people to think that they would get a fever from, from having hot, um, hot drinks and hot products like soup. And so I think that this, my theory, do you eat soup? 
Yeah, Mormons eat soup. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, right? Like this is, it's a total, I think it's, Mormonism has a lot of things that are very time specific. And so I think this whole no hot drinks is considered, it, it's something that was very specific to the times I don't think many modern Mormons know, but I, this is what I attribute it to because it's, yeah, it doesn't say iced coffee's okay. Like you can have iced coffee. You can have, you can, it, there's nothing saying that it's okay to have. There's nothing that says it's okay to have decaffeinated coffee. It's it's an it's an issue of this is what the prophet says this means now, and I can't remember which who who said that, but yeah. What about my toddler that enjoys a warm glass of milk before bed? That's is okay. Is that problematic? That's okay. Okay. Yeah, um, I remember asking missionaries. I said I like I like to have. I lo- I'm from the East Coast. I like Dunkin' Donuts hot chocolate. It's the best one you can get. And how come I can't drink that? And the missionaries pretty much scoffed at me and were like, "What? You can have, you can have hot chocolate." And I was like, "Oh, well then, no then, hot my, drink. then my yep. wife could be a Mormon because she loves Dunkin' Donuts hot chocolate. <sighs> she it's thinks the it's the best. best. She would it agree with you. It is the best. I disagree with it her, but best. you guys can have your opinion. Just Sorry, know Dun- that it's Sorry, right, Dunkin' Ryan. people. Just know that it's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Mormonism. It's very family centered, obviously, due to the concept of eternal families. These are families that aren't separated by death, but you say they're sealed. Sealed. Bound for eternity. What's that about? And I'm just curious for the rest of you, like, is that is that attractive? Once once Megan if you if you can you No, know we can't answer that on a podcast. Why can't we? <laughs> Sure, we can. <laughs> there's a there's a very he's he's uh, he's one of the apostles. There's twelve apostles. There's something we can hit on. I can explain, but there are twelve apostles, and one of them his name is Jeffrey R. Holland. Um, I met him actually one time, Jeffrey Holland. Um, he in one of the Mormon videos you can watch, you can find online. I'm sure about temples. He says all very sentimental and and teared up. He says, "What would heaven be like?" If I didn't have my wife and I remember watching that and being like, wow, what a beautiful marriage. Wow. Because most people would scoff and say, it'd be, it's like a vacation without my wife or without my kids or yeah, I'd rather not have my brother there. But, um, the whole Mormon concept of family is very different. I'd say than even just the average American family. What is the, uh, how do they relate? How do the male and female relate to each other in a Mormon marriage? (sighs) Um, is one in charge? Is one subordinate? So, so yes, I would say that that definitely one is in charge. And the reason I would say that is because um, in Mormonism, really spirituality is the focal point of your life. Your religion, your faith defines who you are. Um, whether or not many Mormons realize it, but if they take a step back, they'd probably all agree down to the days you work, down to what you do with 10% of your whole income, what you do, what kind of, you know, underclothes you wear, just, you know, it defines a lot about you. And, um, with that, I mean, if spirituality is one of your most important things, knowing that a woman cannot have the priesthood and men do in the priesthood, um, it's really the focal point of the entire religion when you, I mean, Mormons will argue that it's Jesus. And I would say, yes, it's a a lot about Jesus, but, um, the restoration and Joseph Smith and prophets all revolve around priesthood. So this power, if only the husband has it, 
the husband is the only one in the family that has the power to give a blessing of comfort, blessing of healing when your child is sick. I see that, yeah, it definitely comes down to to the husband. Um, now, there's a lot of progressive Mormons, I think, that are coming out uh, and living their life in a, in a little more of an egalitarian way. Um, but there's still no getting around priesthood. Um, so yes, Mormon women are still encouraged to get married and have children. I'd say there's a lot more Mormon women that have careers that are coming out and saying it's okay. And the church, I think, is slowly accepting the fact that, yes, Mormon, uh, Mormon women can have jobs. But there's a quote that says there's no greater failure than failure in the home. So if you're a woman and you're not and child rearing and child bearing isn't your main focal point, I would say that definitely shows there's a disconnect um, because your family life is linked with your spiritual life. And so if you're not understanding the importance of your family, you probably lack faith. You're not understanding something spiritually. But if I understand this correctly, Mm -hmm. Mormon past when they become bishop or pastor, Mm -hmm. they're not paid. They work a full-time job and they do all the church work on top of that. Yes. But they're not responsible if their family falls apart. That's on the woman. Ooh. A lot of, there's a lot of, there's even books you can find um, written to bishop's wives. So um, the bishop's wife and a first counselor of the bishop, which are like a first and second counselor, which are like his, his other assistants. Um, they have a lot. Um, I don't, I don't really know. I wouldn't say that if a f- there's a family failure, it would specifically be placed on the bishop's wife. If the husband was a bishop, I don't really know how that would go. Um, it would probably all mostly revolve around gossip um (laughs) really i mean the stake president which is higher than a bishop wouldn't come out and say bishop so and so you failed because your family is falling apart i think that's more of a personal problem that mormon parents carry with them so i think every mormon parent that has a child that goes astray um mostly a lot of the hardliners definitely blame themselves all the time well maybe i didn't pray enough we didn't do enough scripture study we didn't do enough of this because it's it's seen as a loss and I, I just I found it interesting because you as women yeah. are starting to step out and say it's okay to have a career. Yeah. I mean it's a fairly small jump to say, well, if women would just know their place and stay in the home, then their families would be safe. Yeah. And that as women try to do this, that's making this more complicated. Yeah. Because now the the male can't focus on everything he needs to do. His and I it just that kind yeah. of toxic systemic imbalance um lends itself to a lot of abuse yeah um, and that that's one of the kinds of things that bothers me a lot i'd agree so, so obviously as a jesus feminist egalitarian over here that will bother <laughs> me as well but i'm gonna try to like look at the bright side and i'm the, the glass is a little half uh, it's a half full one here when it comes to the, the ceiling so i find the ceiling extraordinarily attractive it is yeah i would say that I mean, as a Protestant growing up, what we were told often was, well, there's neither marriage nor, you know, there's no, there's no family in heaven, so we're all the same. And we told each other that shit because it was in a scripture somewhere in the New Testament that Jesus talks about. And I'm sorry that I said shit mm-hmm. and Jesus in the same sentence, but that was like a literal thing. That's now a doctrine. So when you go to heaven, whatever that is after you die or paradise mm-hmm. or, you know, there's different sort of ideas about what that is, that you're all the same. 
So your spouse, your kids, your best friends, that doesn't matter. And I always had issues with that growing up, but I could never vocalize that. So personally, I look at this going, yeah, I want my family sealed and my buddies. I want, I want, my, I want my peoples with me. Yeah. I love it. I mean, even though I don't buy it, I love it. But it's not it. realistic. <laughs> like, I mean, so. there's a, a higher divorce rate in the church than outside of it. More than 50% of people get divorced. So then what do you do? I, are I'm, you, <laughs> like, when I'm curious, where did you get that? I'm not saying it's not true, but I actually really have a hard time believing it. I'm just curious, like where... The statistics? Of the LDS church or just mainstream no, in Christianity? General, in oh, Protestant okay. Christianity, see, whoa, the divorce rate is higher church? than in, huh. in the culture at large. Um, so, I mean, that's great and all, but like, I don't think that's most people's experience of life. And what do you do with blended families? And does that mean that someone is subordinate to someone else for eternity or that they're erased if they got divorced and you get remarried to a Mormon? Like that part of your life is gone. Does God like separate out the DNA of your ex-spouse? I mean, I mean, it just gets really ugly yeah, really fast. Yeah, it's complicated. I was talking more in black and white terms. I was trying to be an idealist Good here. Good luck, Ryan. <laughs> so... I mean, do you want me to get into those? Well, what does sealing mean deep. to you guys? I mean, what is... Um, so sealing, sealing is a priesthood blessing that can only be had in temples. A family can be sealed in together for time and all eternity. And all those, so like my, my best friend actually just, she just got sealed in the uh, Ochre Mountain Temple in Utah. And um, it's beautiful, beautiful ceremony. I, I didn't get to see it, but I stood outside and it was beautiful. I'm sure, I, I mean, I could, it's great. Um, and you didn't get to see it because you no no longer a member of the church. Yeah, I'm not allowed in. I'm an apostate. So, um, no, but I have, I have seen ceilings before and I've done ceilings, um, done ceilings for the dead. So that's a whole nother topic we can get into. Um, but so, so for example, yeah, you get married, a husband and wife get married in the temple. Um, and they go on, they have children. Those children that are born are born considered in the covenant. So born into that everlasting covenant of eternal marriage. Those children will be, as long as they are faithful, they will go on and also be a family unit for time and all eternity. It's like a link so in a chain. But it's conditional. You said as long as they're faithful. It is conditional. Right? And so um, faithful as in doing the same thing, being a faithful Mormon. Um, if you grow up and you reject the faith, you kind of break that bond. You break that. If you reject Mormonism, it's, it's gone. You break that bond. doesn't mean the rest of your family is all scattered and you're that one link in the chain and everybody's lost. No, they'll just, just go on without you. And like you never existed. I don't know. Nobody can say exactly what the celestial kingdom will be like, right? Uh, which is the highest level where f eternal families can exist. Um, there's still a lot of things in Mormon doctrine that don't define. Um, it's There are certain things that are promised, but there's a lot of ambiguity. Um, as far as divorce goes, a temple marriage or a temple ceiling can only be revoked by the prophet. So yes, you can go through civil, all these procedures, but it's not officially revoked until the prophet the one prophet, Thomas Monson, the prophet at the time, the current time, not the time you're married, but at that time revokes it. And that's a huge deal. Um, it's a huge deal. So if you're going to revoke a temple ceiling, that's a huge deal. It has to be approved by the prophet. I don't know exactly all that you need to go through to do that. I don't know how difficult it is. I assume it's difficult. Um, but if, for example, to, to paint a, paint a picture, let's say, um, 
let's say I got, let's say I was sealed to a man and we got divorced. Um, whenever I go get that revoked has to be proved by profit. Let's say instead, uh, let's say going back to if we were sealed, we don't get divorced, but let's say I pass away early. I, you know, he's, we're still sealed for eternity. He still has the opportunity to go get sealed to another woman in the temple. So that means our eternity will not only be spent him and I, but it will be spent with that other wife as well. What if he was abusive to you? And like killed me and that's why I died early? Well, no, just abusive. Just if he was abusive and that's why you left. No, so so what I'm saying, so so if I, if he's abusive and I want to get a divorce, I don't. I really don't know how that goes. I I got to be honest. I don't know how that goes down in a church. Um, I want to say yes and I want to say no. Um, that it would be allowed. I I really can't. I really don't know. I do have a friend that um was in a church and got divorced, but she wasn't in. She wasn't still in the temple. She had a common law marriage, but was Mormon and the husband was Mormon and uh, was able to be divorced, but it wasn't a temple ceiling, so yeah. it wasn't as major. Um. So I, I really don't know, and I'm sorry I can't answer no, that. Okay. But um, in the analogy that I was painting of, um, if I pass away, but you know we were still married, that husband, my husband, could go get sealed to another woman. That means there would be two wives for him in eternity, or three, or however many he goes on after. You cannot marry two. You can't be sealed to more than one living woman. But if your wife dies, you can go on to be sealed to another woman. Can you be sealed to a second man? I cannot. And so, um, if my husband Shocking. were to die, I would go on i could get married again but it wouldn't be a temple marriage so it wouldn't be an eternal marriage i can get married civilly but if that man was mormon too why wouldn't he want a eternal marriage mm -hmm. he couldn't be sealed to me so when you're mormon you eternal marriage is the highest goal if you don't go for eternal marriage and like what are you doing what are you doing with your time right so that's the highest thing that's what you need to shoot for that's why all these 21 year olds get married so um it's like, it's, it's, it's a huge goal. That's your life goal is to get married. So, um, I don't know the whole, that's still an issue. I think a lot of Mormon women have problems with, um, and it's not talked about. So what much. happens to a single Mormon woman that dies without getting sealed? Oof. It's a toughie. So, um, there's, there's three degrees of heaven in the celestial kingdom. So there's three degrees of the afterlife. Raw is sort of complicated. I know. This is starting to sound like Dungeons and Dragons. Like Dungeons you roll the dice. And so yes. you're saying Get that your spot regardless, you're still going to be in a pretty sweet place. Yes. If I'm so. Hey, we're so, all good. So I, if you're so okay. So, do you want me to explain the afterlife after I hit her Go point? Go for it. Okay. It. So, so dying as a faithful Mormon woman. So let's say. So it's gonna sound pretty sick, but when I was a missionary, I was so so I was so in it that a part of me I never I wasn't suicidal or anything. I wasn't. I swear. Um, but a part of me thought, what greater way to die than to die as a missionary? Cause you kind of go down mm -hmm. a martyr in like what better, what greater cause. Right. And I think a lot of people would say that about their faith too. Like if you truly believe it, it's like, I would love to die for this because I care about it so much. And, um, so let's say I died as a faithful Mormon missionary unmarried, but I, I'd been through the temple. So I made sacred covenants, sacred covenants with, with God. Um, 
there's a lot that's unknown about the celestial kingdom. Um, a lot unknown celestial, but what I would say, um, there's three degrees. And I know that in the doctrine and covenants, I believe, Ooh, if I can recall from memory, I think it's 132 is a section. Um, it talks about the new and everlasting covenant of marriage talks about, um, all that. So if you, if you are interested in reading about Mormon scripture, go look up doctrine and covenants. You can find it on LDS.org, uh, section 132. You can tell I was a missionary. Um, she's still trying to convert people. So people. Trying to, I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a secret Mormon undercover. I'm actually really, <laughs> why do you think I still dress modestly guys? Like that's still wearing why. a long sleeve dress. And um, you don't drink alcohol. That's why I didn't drink. This is actually apple juice. Come on. Um, so <laughs> So I would say that in the women don't attain that highest level. And I, and I know this because there are two other kingdom, two other layers of social kingdom in the top, the very top of the, the creme de la creme, you know, the ultimate super awesome, cool Mormon, a plus VIP heaven top layer of celestial kingdom if you're sealed if you're not sealed you still gone through the temple I, you totally go to the celestial kingdom I know this um, but a lot of this comes down to the Mormon temple so in the Mormon temple um, I'm sorry to those of you if this is offensive uh, if you're a Mormon and you're listening I don't mean it to be offensive um, but in Mormon temple you go through a veil at the end to, to pass into something called a celestial room it's Mormon temple set up in rooms You'll find some temples that are two rooms, but most are three. So you move through, it's a process. Um, it's a very educational, visual process. And to pass through this actual veil um, to get to the celestial room, which is a representation of the celestial world, very I've pretty. I've been in that room before in San Antonio. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? It's something, yeah. it's like really fancy. And you have to be Marriott. really quiet. <laughs> yeah, you have to whisper. You whisper, and it's a sacred place. You're really, and Mormon belief is if a t if God were to come down and manifest himself anywhere, he would probably go to a temple. If Jesus were to manifest himself, he'd probably be to a temple. It's the most sacred and holy place on earth are temples. So you have to have a pass to get in. It's super special. It's like super cool VIP heaven on earth. And so um, to go through it, it's, it's very much revolved around marriage. That's why eternal marriage, like I said, is probably like, is, is the major goal of all Mormons, eternal marriage. And to get into that, to pass in the celestial room in the temple, you stand through the veil, you pass signs and tokens, um, which are certain things, certain hands, shakes and passwords and, and stuff. So that stuff is true. I won't go into it. Um, but men do that. And on the other side, there's a man sticks his hand out. It's very creepy sounding. I know, and I'm sorry, but it's hard to explain. Um, if you're a man, you go through, you give the signs, the tokens. There's a man on the other side, pulls you through. You're in a slush room. Oh, you made it. For a woman that gets married in the temple, when you actually get sealed in the temple, you get to actually go through and do that as if it's for yourself, passing through as if, as this like a peek into the future of what will be when you actually pass through the veil as in dying and go to the celestial kingdom. But here's this, here's the unfortunate part and the messed up part. Um, said so if you're a man, you go through, you stick your hand through, you are communicating with God. You tell him your secret name. That's how he calls you through the veil. If you're a woman, you don't get to talk to God like that. You have to go through your husband and you tell your husband the words, you tell your husband the codes and the signs and he tells God. And so really women 
if you can't, if you don't have a man to do that for you, you can't attain that highest level of the celestial kingdom. And so, um, that's why it's everybody's goal to get married. But the f- knowing that you can't communicate for yourself to get through that veil definitely shows that men have it or closer to God than, than women in Mormon belief. Yeah. No, thanks. That's pretty informative. Yeah. Um, pretty intense. So let, it is intense. Let's end with two topics. One, the welfare system. And then lastly, holy underwear, because Rob is dying to know about the undies. Yes. Okay. You guys have this. Well, I say you guys. You used to <laughs> this very well known humanitarian system where mm-hmm. you uh, you get ten percent taken off of your paycheck and it's it's all going towards the LDS and you all have this amazing welfare system where everyone's taken care of. And here's what I I, I think that I appreciate when when I was uh, I was doing some kind of a welcome to um, welcome to the med school where my wife was for the spouses back in the day. And I was saying, hey, and the Catholics do this, and the evangelicals meet here, and we do this this outreach there. And then I say, and the LDS, and they're like, oh, no, we've got each other. And I'm like, no, you do? Like, oh, we've already totally. met, and we knew before they came on the island that we were in med schools on an island who was coming and which families were here because we're all taken care of. Oh, man, that's impressive. So that was, that was my first uh, understanding of... Not just the welfare system, but like the loyalty to each other. So, um, the the ten percent, it's so, it's it actually serves you. It's like it's okay that you're taking out of your paycheck because it takes care of you and your friends, and because you're all you're all one big happy family. So I'm so sorry to to crap on this parade, but that's not where the ten percent goes. No, no wishful thinking. I'm Misleading sorry. Misleading information. No. Yeah. Alternative facts. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not where the 10% goes. So 10% is tithing. That's before taxes. You pay 10%. Um, and that goes for the church. That goes for the missionary program, which missionaries pay their own way. So what does that pay for? Probably copies of the Book of Mormon, pamphlets, the church's missionary training center. Yeah, cry, cry with me. I really, sometimes i really sad to know where my money went. It goes to fund temples. It goes to... Um, funds pay for electricity meeting houses um but no it doesn't go for the welfare program what it what pays for the welfare program is fasting so mormons will often fast the first sunday of the month uh known as fast sunday and fasting for 24 hours and the money that they would use for the food that they would have eaten in that time that's what they donate and so that's what um tithe and offering offering system the welfare system is made out of so I'm so, so sorry to break your heart. Yeah, so that, that's <laughs> above my heart so every time like I a, think about above all. and beyond ten percent. So twelve percent. So the two percent goes towards people in need in your community. I don't know. In you're, you're like busting my Mormon bubble. I was having some hope for this. I know, and I'm I'm <laughs> sorry. But welcome to reality. Imagine what it was like to be in it. Um, <laughs> All no, right. that's that's not where it goes. If there's um, a Mormon listening, which there will be, we're going to get some hate mail. If there's a Mormon listening, like, I love you, man. <laughs> Woman. Um, and I tried to be respectful. Um, no, that's not where it goes. Um, it all comes out. You can now you have the option when you pay tithing to donate more to the welfare system. Um, but no, that's not where it goes. Um, tithing goes to fund the structure of the church. Well, the welfare and the tie in the fast offerings are what they're they'll be called go for the welfare and a lot of that goes to help your local congregation too which are known as wards 
And I've actually been a beneficiary of the church's welfare. I was at BYU, Idaho, and I was getting ready to pay for a mission, and I was poor and um, lost part of a scholarship. And I was trying to pay for a mission to get my all my stuff. And as a missionary, you pay for you pay your own way. Um, you pay for everything. The church doesn't pay for your mission. And uh, I was pretty poor, and I had like nothing left. Um, and so I got in the church's welfare system, and they sent me like all this food and. Nobody ever expected me to pay it back. Got it once and had this really great bishop. He's like, what order you, what about, what about, what about like cake mixes? Do you like cake? Yeah. What order you some cake? Like the church has everything and, um, you really take care of each other. And that's one thing that's really, that was probably really hard when I left too. Not just any financial help, but just like the community that's always there for you. That's something that I don't think I, to be honest, will probably ever find again the way it's set up. Um, it's unique. Yeah. So regardless about like what percentage goes where for the most part, mm-hmm. the LDS church does take care of its people. Yeah, yeah for sure. With and strings attached. With strings attached, but if you believe it, it doesn't I'm, feel like a I'm string try- too. I'm sorry, Ryan. I'm, I'm trying to be positive I'm here. not going to let you off the hook on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to pay tithe. To, yeah. okay, Rob, Rob, did you have on, a question? Ask the question. Come on. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, I know, I know I mentioned a couple of uh, just the typical stereotypes that, that I have about Mormons. And certainly another one that, uh, that I'm aware of is this, this idea of holy underpants. So, you know, what, what are they? What are they about? Why are they important? Do I need some? Okay. All right. So um, they're referred to as garments. The term magic undies. Holy underpants sounds better, though. Holy underpants. Yeah. So, so as a... F- as a, f- as a um, as an ex-mo, ex-Mormon, I would say, uh, something that lived it, that's probably offensive terminology, all right, so holy underwear, holy underpants, they're known as garments, magic underwear is even more offensive, but, so, so <laughs> garments, SpongeBob doesn't wear them, SpongeBob, no, he wears the really cool ones with the blue and the red stripes and all that, so, uh, <laughs> so, so what I've titled so, this, by the way, Ma- Megan did not, Titled this, she wrote the I content. I did not. So but all I'm the, the momos out there, that, I'm the one that wrote it. So I'm sending you love. They're always. Oh man. I I used to refer to them as G's or Garmies because even saying garments felt too um, abrasive. I just don't want you to get in more trouble from your people. I, I said no, I'm ho- not even one of them anymore. I put, but I, put I still holy love them. On there. So yes, they're Garmies, as I refer to them. Um, as I will refer to them. Okay. Um, so Garmies are. Um, it's something you receive in a temple when you go through to make sacred covenants with God. And the garment, the temple garment is a reminder of the covenants that you've made in the sacred temple. And it's something you wear every day. You wear it under your clothes um, and you don't show it. It's also a symbol for, it's a standard for modesty as well. So um, it'll cover your shoulders. It'll go down to your knee and it covers everything in between. Um, and so it's really like, like Rob's wearing a white shirt totally could be garmies if i didn't look for stitches there's some stitches on garmies so just saying you pull it off rob you pull it off i look good um, in holy but are we talking like tri-blend 100 cotton what's the deal there oh there's oh you can find whatever material you would like i had nylon mesh when i lived in guatemala which by the way are killer if you're in a human climate they're they're horrible i had 50 50 which was cotton poly cotton part cotton part polyester and some that were made of spandex very cute very uncomfortable if you're sweating very my stretchy pants <laughs> so so yeah you there's there's silk 
There's some that are thermals. I have, I, I literally do have ones that go down to my ankle, which are not the standard size or length, but, um, I lived in Idaho and it would get like negative 20. So can you bring some to the pub and show us or would no, that be really bad? I, you can't I don't, do it. Show and tell. Still, I, I would, I would be up for doing it in a smaller setting, but I, I don't know. I'm not Mormon, but I still feel like a form of. I don't want to just tout these around and mostly because yes, they are, they are an interesting thing, but it was something that meant something very serious to me at one point. And though I think I don't really find value in them anymore. I did. I do respect the value that I did have in it. And, um, so did it bring you comfort or security or safety or, um, yes. At certain points I would say it, it meant something different to me when I started losing some of my faith or started having real issues with uh, doctrine and belief, um, I would say they started meaning more to me. And I would say that as um, I think I I was trying to find faith and strength in anything I could. And um, so, so, so the, when you go through a temple, they tell you there's, I think it's three or four S's of when you don't have to wear the garment. So it's swimming, showering, sex, and... Um, sex, shower, swimming, and I can't, I, I want to say the other one is exercise, but it's not an S, sweating, I don't know, exercise. So the four S's, um, but I would sometimes take them off when I exercise because they're really uncomfortable. They're very uncomfortable to exercise in. Um, and so sometimes I would, but a lot of times I, I would leave them on, but I got to the point when I was losing my faith or having issues with my faith that I would make sure they were on. I make sure I always had some. And, um, I, and I almost felt like, because this is a reminder of faith that I was having struggle with. Um, I almost became obsessed with it. That, and that became a lot of, that could be said about like most things in Mormonism towards the end, as I was leaving, I started becoming obsessive, obsessive because I knew I wasn't believing anymore and it was a struggle and I was really trying to make the most out of everything. So I kind of took it one step further. Um, but garments are, are actually referenced in in the in the Bible in Exodus twenty eight two, which is where Mormons attribute it to. It's not the actual thing, um, especially as a student of Torah. Now, I, I, it's not the same thing. But um, Exodus twenty eight two talks about the priestly garments being put upon Aaron, and so um, that's something that is where the the belief in garments comes from as well. Um, but not every Mormon will say, "Oh, yeah, they'll like." people refer to them as magic underwear no they won't like ricochet a bullet or anything they're not bulletproof Man. but there are some i mean you'll find stories i'm sure if you go on youtube of people saying yeah i was like i think i remember seeing one about this guy that said he was in a plane crash and all parts of him were on fire except for the parts where his garments were um maybe it's maybe it's because they weren't cotton i don't know they were silk i Gotta don't know keep the family jewels but, sealed for eternity yeah but i have a friend that went to the beach and said that she wore a bikini and only got burnt on the parts where uh, her garments would have been and she's like i should have been wearing garments so i don't know um but yeah, it's something that's considered sacred. Even though now I don't believe it, I would not bring it to the pub. But definitely, if somebody wants to see them, I'll bring them somewhere. But I don't want, necessarily want to do it in a group setting because still that part of me that's like well, this we meant still something have to, have to your, me. Your goodbye Mormon party. Oh yeah. Well, right? I still have my temple clothes too. Yeah, so we can temple we can clothes are there. different from garments too. So I can bring those. Yeah, but um, the garments are something that if you ask a Mormon to see, they won't show you. You wear it under your clothes and there's stitching on it. That needs to be the closest part to the body. So uh, for women, that means any clothing you would wear closer to your body, you wear over your garments. So, yep. 
What about bike shorts? What about them? I mean, you're going to like definitely see them. Yeah, okay. if you want to be an imposter. Well. I heard about <laughs> men at BYU Provo, uh, Provo's in Utah, and uh, men that would put... <laughs> here's another terminology preemies so men that were going to go on a mission so pre-mission are called preemies <laughs> preemies that would put a rubber band around their leg to attract gals but That's i don't so, know how true that is so that hot. was just a rumor okay well if you want to know anything else about the lds faith you can actually you can message megan yeah so megan where can people find you um, I'm actually a very private person, so I would okay, say just send it to Ryan. So Ryan. Send it to Ryan, it and Ryan will. I don't want you to get hate mail. Send Janelle and I the hate no, mail. No, but actually, yeah. send me the hate mail. I'd love to read it. I just don't like giving my personal information. No, I understand. Out, so, I understand. Um, so they'll send it to us, and we'll send it to yeah, you. Send so yeah, send it to us. Just go to, to brutheology.org. Ryan at brutheology.org. Janelle at brutheology.org. Make sure you share this on the interwebs. Any questions yeah. about missions or BYU? That was or a anything, fun episode, but um. Also, Mormons are actually pretty cool. So, they are. I, yeah, and that's, are yeah. Cool, I mean, I would joke a bit at the end, left. but that taking care of each other and the collective unit—that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Glass is always half full. Cheers. 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 Salud. Thanks so much for listening to Brew Theology. You can learn more about Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology and on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. We hope you enjoyed the program. Until next time, cheers!